Welcome to Yoga Chit Chat. I'm Phoebe Schiff, yoga teacher, student of Sanskrit, and almost 30-year-old. And I'm Karek Morinaga, yoga teacher, meditation practitioner, and indoor rock climber. Every week, we meet virtually for an informal discussion on a common yoga philosophy, principle, or theme. Today's topic is the Sanskrit word asana, which translates into seat or meditative posture. In modern times, we refer to asana as the physical practice of yoga versus some of the different ways that you could practice yoga. We could do a meditation practice. We could do a chanting practice. We could do a breathwork practice. And asana refers to the physical practice of moving the body, performing postures for health and spiritual reasons as well. Asana is what most Westerners think of as yoga. When you go to a yoga studio, you're generally going to practice asana. Historically, however, as you mentioned, asana first meant seat and didn't refer to poses like handstands and big backbends and warrior poses. Those came later. Originally, asana just meant the ability to sit and you needed to be able to sit so that you could meditate. We've been going through the Ashtanga eight limbs of yoga. And in the previous two episodes, we covered the yamas and the niyamas. And the third limb is asana or seat. And again, classically, the yoga sutras were written, which is sometime back in about 200 of the common era, the year 200. And even that date, there's maybe give or take a couple hundred years on on either side of that date. So the yoga sutras were, were written really simply with the intention for the practitioner to be able to sit so that they could meditate. There wasn't a big emphasis or there wasn't any emphasis on aligning the body and performing physical postures for optimal health or to recover from injury or to get stronger or more flexible. It was all about just being able to sit so that you could meditate. And when you meditate, you can reach your highest state of consciousness. This is different from what a lot of people believe about yoga is my understanding the intention of practicing yoga asana, moving through these different postures is to be able to twist out, to wring out the body of toxins and discomfort, to be able to sit in meditation and then from meditation become enlightened or connect to higher consciousness. And This isn't necessarily the story that a lot of yoga teachers or yoga brands are telling at the moment, and that's totally fine. But I do think it's important to highlight that the the physical practice, the asana, is always intended to just make our seat in meditation a little bit more comfortable. Another definition of asana that I came upon in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras is a steady, comfortable posture. So yoga asana gets us closer to feeling steady and comfortable in a posture that tends to not be innately steady and comfortable. Sometimes I'll hear 
a yoga teacher say something about how the yoga teachings are 2,000 years old or 5,000 years old, which is maybe true. Some of the origins of yoga date back thousands of years, but not the physical postures. So to say that the asana practice, the physical practice of yoga is 5,000 years old is probably not correct. We're getting these postures and the physical practice of yoga from much later in the history of yoga. It's generally thought that the asana practice comes out of the tantric philosophy. So we're talking about between the year 900 and 1200 in the common era is when tantra really starts to flourish. And that's probably when the physical practice of yoga developed and and started. And then beyond that, we see, for example, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika is the earliest known Hatha Yoga text. Hatha being, again, the physical practice of yoga, so related to asana. And that, that's in the year approximately 1450. From there, we don't see like what we experience as modern day yoga with the wider variety of postures that we do today. A couple of notes that I have. BKS Iyengar, who is often thought of as the sort of the father of modern day yoga. His, his first visit to the United States was in 1973. He wrote the book that we all use as sort of the yoga Bible of asana uh, called Light on Yoga. That was published first in 1966. Patabi Joyce, who is the founder or the creator of Ashtanga Yoga, uh, which is slightly different than the Ashtanga of Eight Limbs. So when we talk about, we can talk about the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali that has a Yoga of Eight Limbs, Ashtanga Yoga, and then Patavi Joyce in 1975 visited the U.S. for the first time. And he has a system with the same name called Ashtanga Yoga, but it's, it's not the same as the classical Yoga of Patanjali which is super confusing. But that very active physical practice, uh, you know, was brought to the U.S. like in, in the mid-70s. So many of the, the postures, the poses, the quote-unquote asana that we do are pretty modern. They come from more recent times. They're not thousands of years old. And then today, yoga continues to evolve and expand and people are making up new poses all the time. It's one of the things I love about yoga is that it's, it's a living practice and it continues to change for both teachers and students. I love on Instagram when people come up with new poses and shapes uh, that they create and, and yoga continues to evolve. It's not like we're stuck back in the seventies. We're continuing to, to change even today. I agree. It's so cool to watch the evolution of yoga asana, to watch people come up with different poses. And what's really beautiful to me is that we're all practicing these poses with the same intention. And the intention is what goes back to ancient times. It's to make body and mind flexible and supple. And I'm going to do my best to recount a little story from the yoga sutras that I really like. It's a story 
uh, a conversation between a tree and a weed. And there's this gigantic tree um, that's bending over a river and it's talking to this little puny weed on the riverbed. And this tree is basically talking smack to the little weed and saying, look at me, I'm this huge, broad, steady tree. I'm gigantic and you're just this little weed that's getting tossed around in the river. And the weed kind of surrenders and just says, you're right. You know, you're a huge tree. I'm a little weed. Sorry for being here. And then the tree, uh, you know, experienced a little bit of uh, karmic redemption because a huge storm blew in and broke the tree off of its trunk. And the tree started to float down the riverbank. And as it's floating down, the tree says to the weed, I wish I could have been flexible and supple like you because in the storm, the weed was basically able to bend with the storm and have the water run over it. So this little story, which I find so endearing, is this ancient intention of yoga, which people were practicing thousands of years ago and also today. It's this idea of making our bodies flexible and making our minds flexible so that when storms blow in physically or mentally, we can be like the weed, let it flow over us and then rise once again. I love the story. I agree that yoga is, it's very much about creating that flexibility both inside and out. So today we use the term asana to refer to the physical practice. And that's sort of a blanket term for all of the physical practices is asana. And then we have other practices, for example, within the context of the eight limbs of yoga, we had the niyamas and the yamas, and then we had asana, and then we get into more subtle practices. So the next limb is pranayama, which is breath work. And then beyond that, there are a couple of different stages of focusing, calming, and being more flexible in the mind. And so we, we just happen to be on the one that is focusing on, on the body. I do think that's one of the wonderful things about yoga is that it's this holistic approach where we are working on ourselves on all these different levels, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual and we're working on flexibility and strength uh, on each of those levels. Another part of the sutras that I love says that if you make your posture firm and comfortable, then you are not affected by the dualities. You will be able to stay neutral. This for me is personally why I practice yoga is to, is to treat the dualities of life with the same detached witness consciousness observer, however you want to think about it. And it's practice. It's, it's challenging not to get swept up in the dualities, but when you can stay rooted in a pose and stay connected to your breath, then the intensity of, of whatever is happening for you physically or mentally can can be managed. And that to me is what is so powerful about this practice. And, and again, it's what connects us to people from thousands and thousands of years ago, we were all going through the 
various daunting parts of the human condition and being presented with these tools over and over again offered people this opportunity to to turn inward and and take a step back from getting swept away in the storm. Yes, it's just moving your body and it's it's the framework for sort of all uh, contentment and connection. When people find out that I am a yoga teacher, occasionally the follow-up question is, so what do you do for a spiritual practice? And I respond, well, I'm a yoga teacher. And then they're like, oh, no, no, but what do you do to be spiritual? And I think that the question is coming up because they think that the asana is very physical, which it is. But for me, as a yoga teacher, as a yoga practitioner, moving the body and holding poses and being strong and steady in the current of the storm is part of being spiritual. So you mentioned being strong and being steady and not being swayed by the duality of life, by the ups and downs or the good and the bad, but rather staying steady to our core, to our witness consciousness, in spite of what might be going on around us physically, right? That storm carrying the tree away. So when I'm on my yoga mat doing the asana, I'm holding a handstand or I'm holding a back bend that is very challenging and physically intense. And I'm practicing, I'm practicing being true to my inner self and not getting swept away by the, the physical intensity. When I'm wanting to get out of a pose because my muscles are getting tired, fatiguing, instead of allowing my emotions or my thoughts to get away from me, I can, I can come to the middle, find my center, steady my thoughts, steady my body, and be strong in the face of the storm. And to me, that is a spiritual practice. If I can be at my highest, unswayed by the challenge of the physical posture, then that to me is yoga. That's, that's finding my highest self in the face of, of the challenge. That is about as spiritual as it gets. In our episode about the niyamas, the niyamas are these five observances that lead up to complete spiritual surrender. And it reminds me of this little Alan Watts passage that I just posted on Instagram. For those of you who don't know Alan Watts, he's a British philosopher who interpreted a lot of Eastern philosophy in the 60s. He's one of my favorites of all time. And there's this amazing little passage where he talks about how cats are able to jump down from trees because they soften as they land, knowing that they're going to be okay. But if a cat tensed up and jumped off a tree, then all of its bones would break. And he goes on to say that pretty much every moment of life is like a cat jumping off a tree and we can either tense up and be really brittle and have all of our bones broken, or we can surrender and land really softly. And that's this intention of yoga. And that is what guides us to, to spiritual surrender, which is ultimately what we're trying to get to with all of these spiritual practices. Like yes, spirituality can include and encompass lots of different 
modalities and rituals, but ultimately it's just trying to get us to this point of softening and surrendering into the kind of free fall that is life. Another term that you'll hear very commonly today that refers to the physical practice of yoga is Hatha yoga. At one point, Hatha yoga really was an umbrella term for all of the physical practices of yoga. And today that term has shifted just a little bit. So asana does refer to all of the physical practices. Today we translate asana as seat and as posture. When we talk about yoga asana, we're often talking about yoga poses. And the yoga poses that we do are designed to help us be more comfortable in our bodies, be stronger and more flexible in our bodies so that we can sit, so that we can meditate. And then another term that is used very often today to refer to the physical practice of yoga is hatha yoga. Originally, hatha yoga really referred to all of the physical yoga And today it's been used in a slightly different way. So in modern times, Hatha yoga now refers to certain styles of yoga. And it's usually the styles of yoga that are a little bit slower, where you hold the posture for anywhere from 30 to say 60 seconds or more. That style of yoga, Hatha yoga is contrasted with maybe a different style of yoga, say vinyasa flow, in which postures are not held, but rather... The poses are performed in a linked sequence, and there's really just one breath per movement, and the postures are not held very long, if at all. And they're just two ways of of practicing, and there are several different types of yoga now today. Asana refers to all of the physical practices. Hatha yoga, again, it used to be more of an umbrella term, and now I feel In the modern context, Hatha is referring to certain styles of yoga, maybe the slower styles. And then you have vinyasa flow. And we have things today like hot yoga and goat yoga and puppy yoga and color therapy yoga. There's so many different types of yoga. And that was one of the things I mentioned earlier is that Hatha yoga continues to evolve and branch out and sort of separate just as the one divine spirit chooses to divide and subdivide and experience herself through diversity. Yoga itself is following spirit and is continuously expanding and dividing and creating newer and more specialized forms of yoga. The yoga that I teach is Anusara yoga, which fits under that Hatha yoga umbrella. And it's one of the slower styles. It's very rooted in tradition, the tradition of the philosophy, the traditions of asana, going back to when I say the traditions of asana, I'm talking about Iyengar. We use light on yoga as sort of this guide to the postures that we do. And at the same time, Anusara yoga is not stuck in the past on a set of postures, but we continue to branch out and explore new poses and new ways of healing the body and strengthening the body. Anusara yoga also encompasses uh, things like meditation and chanting 
what I love about it is it's simultaneously rooted in the history and the and tradition of yoga, and at the same time continues to evolve. So, Carrick, you are my teacher, my close friend, my business partner, and I don't think I've ever asked you this before. Um, I I always ask people this. I always ask guys I'm on dates with this question: What is your favorite? yoga pose, your favorite asana posture, and your least favorite posture. You can tell a lot about someone by these. My favorite pose is, it's just a really simple standing pose. It's side angle pose, Parjvakanasana. It's a really challenging pose. It's not an easy pose for me. It seems to change and evolve daily. I'm continually working on that pose. So it's, it's a work in progress but it does feel good. And I enjoy the stretch in that pose. I like that it's really simple and that you can kind of do it anywhere, anytime. There's a lot of variations. So depending on the day, I can choose a variation that is appropriate for where my body's at. Other than side angle pose, then it, then I would go to, I really love handstands and arm balances. It's hard to pick just one uh, arm balance or handstand variation, but I really love those poses because they're so challenging. And then least favorite pose. Um, I don't have one that I would say is my least favorite. Like I try not to have one that I would say is I hate it or because that just puts all kinds of energy around saying that. However, I do have poses that are very challenging for me. So back bends are very challenging. One of the poses that I find the most awkward is twisted triangle. And, and again, I don't say that I hate it, but it's, it's awkward. It's, it's challenging. Uh, it's difficult. How about you, Phoebe? What same questions for you? My favorite pose is lizard lunge. I love lizard lunge. I've had some very profound moments of connection and higher consciousness in lizard lunge. Um, and then my least favorite pose is, it's not a pose as much as it's a transition. (laughs) I did it in your class and I fell. (laughs) I think that's why there's uh, a sore spot there. It's when, let's see, it's when it's like something, you have to walk your feet up the wall and then kick back. Do you know the one I'm talking about? You're in like Urdhva, Dhanurasana, and then you walk your feet up the wall. Yeah. And like your hips are in line with your feet and then you're supposed to kick back. From the back bend, from the big back bend, upward bow, you walk your feet up the wall and you try to flip over into like down dog. Exactly. And I, the flipping transition really freaks me out. Also, fun fact, I have been practicing yoga for almost 10 years and I still can't do a cartwheel. I'm very triggered by cartwheels. <laughs> I got to learn them at some point. Um, so yeah, those are my, those are the ones that are, that trip me up a little bit. Where When my feet get over my head, I'm just like, <laughs> I get a little freaked out. One of my students recently described why she likes the class that I teach. And she, I'm paraphrasing a lot, but she described being in a pose, say a warrior two, 
for what feels like a little bit too long. And I do tend to hold my students in poses for a long time. So as she's in a warrior two, in a challenging, active asana, different thoughts get kicked off in her head and she starts wondering, when am I gonna get out of the pose? Why are, we, why are we doing this pose right now? And her mind just starts to race. And she said that at some point, she just has to breathe and listen to her breath, focus on what she's doing. And then she sort of has a little breakthrough to a moment of clarity. But she has to be holding the posture for a certain amount of time to get to that breakthrough moment. And she's always like, looking for that moment and, and trying to make that moment happen uh, more quickly or more efficiently. And what she was describing or what it sound, sounded like to me is she's describing like a moment of meditation while she's standing there in warrior two. So there's this moment where her mind clears and she's not worried about when she's getting out of the pose. She's not worried about how much her thigh is burning because she's been in warrior two for a minute and a half. And I thought that was a really great way to describe it. I feel the same way. There are moments of clarity for me when I'm doing the physical practice and the moment can last for a breath or the moment can last for an entire practice. If I'm lucky, there are moments where doing the physical practice, the asana, give me moments of clarity, give me moments of knowing my inner best self. I often find it in the really challenging poses when I'm doing a handstand, which I love, but I'm not the best at them. You know, I can stick a handstand every maybe 50% of the time and hold it for a few seconds. But for those few seconds, when I do hold the handstand, I cannot think about anything else when I'm handstanding. I can't think about my grocery list. I can't think about what's stressing me out. I can't think about what I have to do for the rest of the week. I'm just in that moment with myself on the mat doing the handstand and everything is clear. And I keep using that word, but my mind clears. And to me, it's very similar to what happens in my meditation practice. So when I'm seated in meditation, all I'm trying to do is clear my mind and get away from, again, the stressful thoughts, the things that are cluttering my mind. And I have different practices that I do when I meditate, different ways to help me find clarity. And I just think of the asana as one of the ways to find clarity. And then the one other thing that I'll, I'll mention, so for my intro today, I said yoga teacher, meditation practitioner, and indoor rock climber. And I do find that rock climbing can be a physical practice where I find those little moments of clarity. When I am climbing on a graded problem or climb that's a little bit beyond my reach and I am deathly afraid of falling, that is all I can think about for that moment. I can only think about the next hold, the next thing I'm going to do with my body. I'm not worried about how much my taxes cost me or I'm not worried about whether I'm going to lose the class that I'm teaching or whatever is stressing me out. I'm just focused on the next hold of the rock climb. So these to me are very similar practices, yoga and rock climbing. 
where you're just using your body in a different way to get to kind of this state of meditation. Sounds like you're the cat relaxing into the free fall. Yes. May we all continue to be cats relaxing into the free fall from the tree in every moment. May we continue to practice and remember that the asana practice as much as we're doing it for fun and to get healthier and to align muscles and bones. May we remember that originally, traditionally, asana was with the intention of making us more comfortable so we could sit and we could meditate and we could find mental clarity and really realize and connect with our best selves. We would love to hear about your favorite and least favorite yoga poses. Uh, please feel free to send us a message over Instagram. Our handle is at yoga.chit.chat. And you can also check out our website, www.yogachitchat.com. We have blog posts and links to all of our episodes there. And if you feel called to offer us a little donation, we always receive that with lots of love. You can give us a little offering on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash yogachitchat. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. See you next time.